You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. If you're turning with me in your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 4, 4. Today I want to talk to you about your position. You see, your position will change your action. Where you're positioned will change the things that you do. It'll change your actions. Um, there was a, a lady, her name was Lady Nancy Astor, and she really didn't like Winston Churchill. And they always just kind of butted heads. And she said one day to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. And he said, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. (laughs) (laughs) Your position in a relationship will change what you do. He said, I'd drink it if you were my wife. Your position in a family will change the way you think and even the way you act. Even going from a son, my role in a family growing up as a son was a much different role than I play now that I'm a father. Your position changes the way you act. It changes the authority that you walk in. So I want you to start thinking about that as we get started. Your position. Your position in God's family. Your position in the kingdom because we all have a position. We all have a place in the kingdom. Every single one of us. Start thinking about that, your position, because that'll change the way you act. Have you ever been dropped? Like somebody picked you up and dropped you? Yeah, probably. It it doesn't feel good to get dropped. I can't think of any kind of dropped that feels good. Even at Six Flags on Acrophobia, that's the worst one to me. I could ride a roller coasters all day. You ride that up and you're way up in the air and it tilts you forward and you're just waiting to get dropped. Who likes to get dropped? That's what I thought. Hardly anybody. (laughs) No. Psychologists say if you like to get dropped, you're insane. I'm just kidding. They don't really say that. I just saw Jackie raise her hand. (laughs) They don't say that. Nobody likes to get dropped. RJ, where'd RJ go? Dipped out on my message. Y'all know RJ's dropped Azalea? That beautiful, sweet, precious baby. My niece. He's dropped her before. You think she liked that? How do you think that made him feel as a father? Can he hear me? Nobody likes to get dropped. Remember, babies are born with two fears. One, the fear of loud noises, and one with the fear of falling. So we were all born with that fear. So if you don't have the fear of falling, then you've trained yourself not to be afraid of falling. You're probably born with it for a reason. Um, You ever had a boyfriend or a girlfriend drop you? I haven't. So I married my first one. You ever had a husband or a wife drop you? Yeah, 
it doesn't feel good to be dropped. Okay, I'm thinking. There are some other things that aren't that bad, like let the beat drop. Or, you know, last Monday at training camp, when uh, Freeman tried to run around the outside, Vic Beasley picked him up and dropped him. I don't think that felt too good. Literally picked him up in the air, like I think to just prove a point. Like, you're too little to run around here. Picked him up and just, boom, laid him on the ground and stood over top of him. I don't think he liked getting dropped. Dropped the fries. I like that one. Or you can drop the mic. Thank God I caught that. (laughs) Well, I guess dropping the mic's not a bad thing. Unless you're the mic. Then that's kind of a bad thing. Let's say the early bird gets the worm. Right? Well, guess what? The worm got up early too. It didn't turn out too good for him. I always say the second rat gets the cheese. Let's look at somebody in the Bible that got dropped. We'll read a little bit of scripture. Okay, ready? We're going to look at somebody that got dropped. 2 Samuel 4, verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. And he was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So this kid was five years old. His grandpa was King Saul. His dad was Prince Jonathan. He was royalty. And word came to the town, you know, he's just having a normal day playing and he's got people taking care of him and he's royalty and he's heir to the throne and he's there playing. And then the word comes to the town one day that King Saul died at war and Jonathan died. This is a pretty bad day for this kid. If you ever put yourself in... in his situation, he's, he's five years old, he's the king's grandson, and he finds out that his grandpa, the king, he probably thought he was pretty awesome. He was the king, he's been ruling the land, he ruled the army. He Suddenly, what was a good day became the worst day of his life. His king, his security, his grandpa died. His dad died. And all of a sudden, the town, the palace starts going crazy. And people are running back and forth as the news gets around. And he hears people saying, David's coming. David's coming. Because David would be the new king. David was coming in to take over. And word had already gotten to David. So David and all of his 600 mighty men were riding that way. And people were in a panic. David's coming. David's coming. And picture that little five-year-old boy. Oh, okay, okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because I know David. David's my dad's best friend. I remember David. I I know him. Uncle David. My 
my godfather. My, he knew David. Like David and Jonathan, his dad, were best friends. They were in covenant with each other. This kid was five years old, so David would have been around the palace when he was born and, and growing up, and David would have been involved in his life. He knew him, so surely he must have been telling himself, it's okay, I, I know David. David's dad's friend, he's going to come make things okay. He's going to fix this. It's the worst day of my life, but a hero's coming. Here comes the hero. I have his poster on my, on my wall in my bedroom in the castle. David was like a hero back then. He killed Goliath and he won all these battles and victories. And he had these crazy mighty men that would fight for him. David's going to make it okay. And then all the voices around him started to tell him, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. David's coming to kill you. Because back then the custom would be to kill everyone that was an heir to the throne. When the king died, you killed his sons, you killed his grandsons, and anybody else that could ever grow up and try to take the throne, that's what they did. They came in and they completely eradicated the whole bloodline. And so as he must have thought, David's coming. Quickly it turned to fear. As his nurse and the people around him told him, no, he's not coming for good. He's coming to kill you. He doesn't have good thoughts towards you. He doesn't like you. He places no value on your life. Sounds like the voice of sin and fear. And then the nurse picked him up trying to do a good thing as she took off running to try to save his life. And what we just read, she fell down and paralyzed him. He became lame. So then he felt extreme pain physically. So what was the biggest mental challenge, the, probably the biggest emotional challenge he's ever faced in his life, now it's the most physical pain he's ever been in in his life. And he's five years old. He can't move his legs. He can't walk. She's still running with him now, hurting and in pain. This was a bad day. 20 years would pass. This kid, he grows up for 20 years hiding. 20 years pass, and we're going to read... But David remembers. I don't know what made David remember after all that time. I know he was busy when he took over and everything was going on. And, and he was fighting wars and they were taking land. And uh, the Israel went from about 6,000 square miles after David took over to around 60,000 square miles. So they were just, it was a crazy, busy, prosperous time for Israel. And I don't know what it was, but 20 years later, David remembers Jonathan. Maybe he was doing something that him and Jonathan used to do together, or he was remembering his old friend, and he remembers the covenant that he made with him. He said, hey, look, if, if me and dad die, will you please be good to, to my son? David remembers that. So let's read what happened. We're just going to turn over to uh, 2 Samuel 9. Only a couple few pages in my Bible, but it was 20 years. 
And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. Back then it was shame if you had any kind of handicap or infirmity or anything wrong with you physically or mentally. They thought it was because you did something wrong. That it was punishment from God and you would be shunned. You were not welcome to worship with everyone else. And you weren't. He was lame. He's lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Micar, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Micar, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Lodabar, it's a city in Manasseh, way out in the middle of nowhere. And the name Lodabar, where he's been hiding out for the last 20 years, it means no pasture or no bread. No provision. There's no pat. Think of somewhere you got a bunch of horses or cows in a little pen with no pasture. What is it? It turns into mud real quick. It's just a bunch of mud and manure and and no bread. Yeah, no, because there was no pasture. They couldn't grow wheat, so they couldn't make bread. So it was just way out in the middle of nowhere and dry and dull. No pasture. Sounds like a great place for a witness protection program. That's what he was doing. He was hiding. Went to a place where he wouldn't be found. Where he could hide because David wanted to kill him. And he's been hiding for years. Because he had the wrong idea about the king. And his thoughts towards him. Some of you have been hiding. And even some of you on the outside... Doesn't really look like you're hiding, but you're hiding. Some of you come to church, but you don't get involved. You don't get close. You you keep people away. You don't volunteer. You don't serve. You don't want people to get in close. Why? Why? You're hiding. Why? Same reason he was. Either two things. One, brokenness. You don't feel like you're worthy. You're lame. You're you're unworthy. You've got nothing to offer to a king. Or the second one, who you are. You know who you are. You know what you've done. You know who your father is. You know your Saul. You know your your sin, your flesh, your nature, what you were born into. The same as him. And you feel like the king doesn't have grace. So you're hiding. I'm not worthy. Look at verse 6. Imagine that feeling when they saw the dust coming up and the king's entourage on the way. 
as they wondered, who's that coming to Lodabar? My horses and chariots and this big group of people. Is that a parade? Why, why would they be coming to Lodabar, this place of no pasture, this place where criminals would go to hide from the law, this, this bad place? What? Is, that's not the king. That's not King David. Imagine Mephibosheth. He finally found me. At least I got to live these last 20 years, but it's over. We'll, we'll read on and see that he had a son. I wonder if he called his son in and kissed him goodbye. They're coming to kill me, son. I'm sorry. But you need to run and hide. Because it's a cycle. When we hide, we teach our kids to hide. And when we think the wrong things about the king, then we teach our kids to think the wrong things about the king. And So here comes this entourage. They come into the town. and Verse 6 says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face, and he did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. I'm, yes, your servant. He fell on his face. And, and David said unto him, Fear not. I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And will restore thee all the land of Saul. Thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. What? So he's coming from no bread to king's bread continually. And he bowed himself and he said, Why is thy servant, what is thy servant that, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? It's a dead dog. I'm not worthy. Why would you look at me like that? And to them, a dog was like, it's not like your little chihuahua you got right now and this glamorous thing. To them, uh, a dog was like the lowest, the lowest thing there was. The, they, even, they had this prayer, thank God that, it's horrible. They would pray like, thank God I wasn't born an infidel, a woman, or a dog. That's how messed up they were back in that culture a dog was as bad as it gets and a dead dog meant it was completely worthless it could do nothing and if you even accidentally touched a dead dog like with your shoe or uh, anything you barely touched a dead dog you were considered unclean and had to go through a cleansing process before you were allowed to even worship God, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't do, you were unclean if you touched a dead dog. So what he's saying when he said, "Why I'm a dead dog. I'm, I'm completely worthless, but even more than that, I'm unclean. So why would you even touch me? Why would you even come around me? I'm worthless. Then the king called to Ziba. David didn't even answer him. David ignored that comment. David turned and looked at Ziba. 
called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So he had 35 men. Probably get a lot done. Probably got a big grocery bill too. 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table. David wanted to make sure. Point got across. He shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Not even as a servant. Not even like we'll provide for him and make sure he has food and just keep him in his little house over there. And I'm giving, David said, no. He's going to eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Kind of reminds me of the prodigal son when he said, man, even the servants have it better than me. I'm going home to dad's house. And his dad was like, no. Here. Here's a ring and a robe and some shoes. You're, you're a son. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and he was lame on both of his feet. But he was still lame. He was still broken. His condition didn't change. He still couldn't walk. His condition didn't change, but his position did. He's now seated at the king's table. He's now got land and servants and food and provision. And the condition didn't change, but the position did. It's more about position than condition. We like to focus on our condition, on our brokenness, on our hurt, on our pain, on our shame. The thing that we think should disqualify us from being at the king's table. The thing that in our mind we've decided disqualifies us. We can't be a part. I could never be used by God. I can't. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm, my sin, my past, my family, my whatever. It's true. The Bible says some have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that what it says? All. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not some. We all have. Because of one man, Adam, sin entered the world. And because of one man, Jesus Christ, we all have a place in the family. We're all called sons and daughters. It's not exclusive. It's for all of us. 
because of one man, because of our king, King Jesus, the son of David, remember? We have a seat at the table too. He has a table for us, a a seat for us. He wants to show you kindness, not because of what you can do. Mephibosheth didn't have a whole lot to offer King David. It wasn't about what he could do, that he could offer him something or that he could be a general in his army. No, it's not about that. God has a seat at the table for you, and it's not about your works or what you can do to to be worth your while and earn your seat at the table. That's, That's not it. You're missing the point. It's because of who you are. Your value comes from your maker. It's because of the covenant that was made. Look at Psalms. Psalm 23. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, or just like you said you would, you let me catch my breath. And you send me in the right direction. That's what church is for come in here and we get to catch our breath and get filled up we get sent in the right direction we remember who we are even when the way goes through death valley I'm not afraid when you walk out my side your trusty shepherd's crook it makes me feel secure what's David saying I trust you you serve me a six course dinner Right in front of my enemies. Hmm. King James says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of thine, mine enemies. My cup runneth over. You prepare a table. You serve me a six-course dinner. Wait, you set me a table right in the middle of my enemies? Don't just think about a bunch of dudes with swords in a valley as your enemies. Because I don't think you have any. I mean, if, if you do have swords running across the valley, men with swords running across the valley, and that's your enemies you're dealing with, you need to call the police. All right? Most of my enemies are right here. Probably most of yours are too. Most of Mephibosheth's were. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. God sets a place at his table, at the king's table, and he says, sit down, son. But my legs are broken. He said, sit down, son. I'm serving you food. Now, I need to go hide somewhere where there's no bread and there's no pasture and there's no provision because I don't. And, and God says, you're my son. Sit at the table as one of my kids. Stop hiding. You don't have to hide. Right in front of my enemies, you revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. My cup runneth over. Your beauty and love, they chase after me every day of my life. I'm I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. I'm at home. I can breathe. You let me catch my breath. 
You send me in the right direction. God, I trust you. It's about the shepherd, not the sheep. You notice what David's, this, this whole thing, if you kind of take a step back, it, it's about the shepherd, it's not about the sheep. It wasn't about Mephibosheth. It was about the king. In the original language, Hebrew, Mephibosheth, you know what his name means? Picture of mercy. Just kidding. That's what I wanted it to mean. Something cool like that that would really drive home this message, but it doesn't. That would have been cool, wouldn't it? (laughs) No. What it means is it's two parts put together as one name. The first part means dropped, broken, shattered. The second part of his name means hidden, shameful, and placed away. Huh. Dropped, broken, shattered. Hidden, shameful, and placed away. That was his name? And I've heard people say, and I've heard different people preach about or mention this or say it, and I've heard them say, well, and use the power of names and what you're called, and that that's what had been prophesied over him for years, and that he was broken and shameful, and this is what was said over him. But check this out. You do a little more digging, you find out in 1 Chronicles 8, in the genealogy of Saul, and it's listing, like, you know how it'll list who begat who begat who. Go look in, in 1 Chronicles 8, um, when it's listing Saul's family. His given name when he was born, Jonathan didn't name him Mephibosheth. That came at five years old when he was broken and shattered, and that was the name that was put on him. That was the label that was put on him. His father named him Mary, Mary Bell, Mary Babel, how, however you would pronounce it. But it means an opponent of Baal. Baal was a false god back then, the pagan god. And Jonathan named him this strong, powerful warrior's name, an opponent of Baal. That he would stand up and fight for our God and for our country. And that he will fight for Israel and he will be an opponent of Baal. That's the name that was given to him by his father. Mephibosheth was just put on him after he went through life. And after he was broken. And that was the label that was put on him. And that's what he was called. But that's not what his father had in mind. Look at Ephesians 1. And we're going to close. I'm going to read this to you in the Message Bible. But um, you'll be familiar with these verses. Um, Ephesians 1. I'm going to read you 3 through 6 in the Message Bible. But this verse 6, some translations, depending on which one you have, it's the verse where Paul says that we are, either your translation may say seated or Uh, We sit with Him in heavenly places, or we are seated with Him. Seated, edited, edited means we're already there. We're already seated there with Him. Look how the Message Bible words it. 
How blessed is God? And what a blessing is He? He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. He has a place for us at His table. Long before He laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of His love. To be made whole and holy by His love. Long, long ago, He decided to adopt us into His family through Jesus Christ. Now David said, Mephibosheth is going to sit here as one of the king's kids. Adopted into the family. We are Mephibosheth. Because of sin and because of Adam, we were broken, we were hiding, we were running. And, and Jesus came and gave us a place at the table and said... We're one of the kids of the king. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Through Jesus. Imagine Mephibosheth sitting at that table. Sitting at the king's table. And he's just sitting there and wondering who else is going to sit at this massive table. And he hears something running down the hall. Here comes Solomon, the little nerd, the glasses. He's been in the study all day. He's, you know, we know him as the wisest man, but I picture he, he probably came running out of the study and he said, I'm glad somebody told me dinner was ready. I've been reading all day, I am famished. And he's like, well, well, you're a really smart little kid. Yes, my name is Solomon. What's your name? Mephibosheth. Hey, well, Dad must like you if you're here at our table. And he sits down, and then Tamar, David's beautiful daughter, comes walking in. Hey, how are you? And she sits down to eat. And then Absalom comes walking in with his long, flowing locks. And he's trying to get a shampoo commercial. And he's a little bit full of himself. And Mephibosheth thinks, man, he could use a dose of humility. And he tells some joke and they laugh. And Mephibosheth's looking around thinking, so this is what it's like to, to have food in the family. And then you hear, said, who's that coming down the hall? David's mighty men kick open the door and they're laughing and joking about the wars that they just have been on and how God helped them to win and how they've turned 6,000 square miles into 60,000 square miles for Israel and, and they're hearing these war stories and it's like watching a movie listening to these guys and they're larger than life. These are It's like the Avengers are sitting at the table with them and he never even thought he would get to meet one of them and now he gets to eat every meal with them unless they're away fighting and here's David coming down the hall Uncle David the father figure that he's lost for 20 years and David kicks open the door and he's walking with Abishai his other nephew that's probably around Mephibosheth's age and they're laughing and joking back and forth and Abishai walks over to him and says, Man, dude, you look pretty strong. 
Because you see, think about a crippled man. They didn't have wheelchairs and they didn't have people. And he was poor, so he didn't have servants. So his upper body would have been built. Because he's been dragging himself around for all these years. And he's lived in a really rough town where criminals go to hide. So he's probably been in some fights. He's probably had to try and learn how to protect himself. So Mephibosheth, even though his legs didn't work, his upper body would have been stronger and more built than the average man. Because he would drag himself around or walk on his hands and pull himself up and try to open stuff and do things. So he would have been strong. So Abishai says, you want to arm wrestle? He says, yeah, I'll arm wrestle you. And he throws up his arm on the table and they arm wrestle and Mephibosheth wins and everybody's laughing. And then David says, sit down. Come on, stop that, guys. It's time to eat. Let's bless the food. Let's pray to God. And then David prays over the food and sings one of the psalms that he's written. And they have the best meal that he's ever eaten. And just imagine Mephibosheth as he sits there. And here's what I want you to see. When he stepped into his place as a son, he took his place at the table. The parts of him that were broken and ugly were covered by the table. And he looked strong. In fact, he looked stronger than your average man. If you were to just walk in that room and look around because his upper body would have been stronger, what I just explained. When you looked, you would have thought he was one of the stronger guys. You probably would have pegged him as one of David's mighty men because he looked built. Because God covered those things. And you know what made him look strong? The things that he had been through. The things that he was trying to cover up. The things that he thought disqualified him actually are what made him Strong. When you sit at the king's table, those things that you think disqualified you, they're covered by his grace. As you take your position as a son or as a daughter and you sit at that table, it's covered. That's why you hear people say, well, I can't go to church because they've all got it together and I don't have it together yet. And I'm not perfect like all those church people and they have perfect wives and perfect kids and perfect families and their lives are all perfect. No! People in church are just as messed up as people that aren't in church, but the people that are in church have realized that they have a place in the family and they're sitting at the table. So all that ugly stuff is covered by the grace of the king's table. So yeah, when you look at them, they look better than the average. They look stronger than the average. They look like they've got it all together, but they got just as many problems. They're just in the right position sitting at the table. And if anything, that brokenness and that lameness is making them better. It's made them stronger. You have a seat at the table. You are a son. You're a daughter of the king. Don't hide in Lodabar. He's calling you. Those of you that have been hiding, somebody's been talking about you. Remember the king, he was talking, is there anybody? Is there, where are they at? Where is he? Where can I find him? Where can I go get him? They're talking about you. Yeah, I knew they were talking about me. It's okay, I'm going to let my haters be my motivator. Not that kind of talking about you. 
that want to bless you. The king is talking about you. I have a place for him. I want to show him my goodness. I want to show him my kindness. I want him to experience what I have for him. I, I want to show her that she's my daughter. I want to cover her brokenness. I want to bring her into the family. I want her to experience these meals, this joy, hope, peace, love, provision that I have. That's the king's heart towards you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can come boldly. That we don't have to have shame and guilt. Oh, that I'm, a, I'm just a dead dog, God. No. You've called us. You call us your sons and your daughters. You, you call us royalty because of your son. When you look at us, you see him. And you see the sacrifice that he made. God, thank you for that. Because we couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But you gave us a seat at the table. God, help us to see your heart. And remember who we are. That we have a place. And that we can continually eat at your table. God, use our past. Use the things that are behind us to make us stronger. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.